If you're looking for a happy place, you have found it. This is the Live Happy Now podcast. Hello and welcome once again. Thank you for making us a part of your day, a part of your week. Wherever you're listening in from, we appreciate having you here. I'm your host, J.R. Houston. Also very appreciative of Live Happy Magazine, our parent company here. They uh, have their latest issue out on newsstands now, wherever fine magazines are sold. And also very happy to have Life Reimagined with us again. Their website, liferemagined.org slash happy and they've got all kinds of things there for you that are going to help you reach your peak happiness you know as you awaken to the power of happiness so do your dreams so what's next find out more at lifereimagined.org now this is one of those podcasts where we are going to be listening in on another conversation that uh, one of our uh, editors had earlier this time it is editor-at-large Stacy Kaiser you know in our stressful day-to-day lives it's often hard to find the time to stop and take a breath and just kind of let things go. Well, Darlene Menini is joining Live Happy Editor-at-Large, Stacey Kaiser, to tackle the problem of stress and anxiety. Now, Darlene is the author of The Emotional Toolkit and creator of the UCLA Undergraduate Wellbeing Course, Life Skills. You'll find out how you can start using mindfulness and meditation to reduce stress and how to fit it into your busy schedule wherever you may be. I was hoping that first you could sort of explain what mindfulness is and Mm -hmm. describe it. Um, Sure. Well, I think it's important to define it because you hear so much about mindfulness that these days it seems like it's everywhere. Uh, And the definition that I really like to use, it comes from John Kabat-Zinn, and he's the founder of the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Program at the University of Massachusetts. He's kind of the, the godfather of mindfulness. And he defines it as paying attention to the present moment without judgment. And So the question is, what exactly does that mean? And what we're doing right now is not something that really comes naturally to us. And it's no fault of our own. It's the way our brain is designed. Our brain is designed to keep us focused on the future and all the things that might go go wrong and how we can protect ourselves from, you know, that kind of what if this happens? You know, what if I lose my job or what if I hit traffic? And then sometimes we focus on the past and things that maybe we wish we would have done differently, or why did he say that to me? And we're rarely um, focused just on this moment, where we are and what's happening. So in order to do that, actually train ourselves to do that, mindfulness or mindfulness meditation is really a brain training program in a sense that will literally rewire the functioning of your brain so that you begin to be more focused on your present moment and exactly what's happening. It doesn't mean that you're never going to plan for the future or, you know, think about should you put money in your 401k or anything like that. You're still going to do all those things, but you're going to just kind of take things as they come in the moment. And so the question might be then, well, why would, what, what difference if, you know, does doing things in the moment make? And this is where the research comes in. And this is why I think mindfulness has really kind of caught on like wildfire. It's because science has gotten into the act and is starting to really look uh, at what it can do for us. And there's quite a litany of benefits. The obvious one is reducing stress, but it can boost our creativity, enhance our productivity improve our immune functioning so you're healthier. It decreases your anxiety, your depression. You can sleep better. Uh, Students do better on exams. So there's so many benefits to learning this simple skill of learning, as John Kabat-Zinn says, 
to just pay attention to what is happening in the present moment and basically with an attitude of acceptance that whatever is happening in this moment, you accept it as it is. So that's the brief overview of, of basically what mindfulness is. No, that's a great explanation. Before we sort of dive into how to do more of that, I'm hoping, you know, I think some people are actually afraid to be mindful, like they're afraid they're going to miss something or um, afraid it's too hard or maybe they won't plan for the future or they won't remember the past or whatever it is. So, so do you have any suggestions, first of all, of sort of how to manage that, that sort of it's uncomfortable to be in the moment experience? Well, I can tell you from my own experience how I got started. I was in graduate school um, in the late 90s, super stressed. <laughs> I was a very stressed out graduate student. And, you know, the workload was just relentless, and it, it was just really difficult. And I knew I needed to figure out a way to manage my stress. And, you know, here I was a psych major, all these tools, but I really didn't learn how to deal with the stress that we all face in our lives. And so I started to look into meditation and particularly fell in love with mindfulness because it really spoke to me and uh and started learning how to do it took a class in los angeles and you know this was before there was as much research as there is now basically i need to go home practice just focusing on my breathing and of course i'm like well that's going to be easy how hard can that be right and then i sat down and i tried to actually do it and in the middle of doing it, my mind would constantly wander and take me to, okay, I have to go to super, I have to go to the shopping, I've got to pick up something in the cleaner. And then it's like, and five minutes went by and I realized I hadn't focused on anything at all. But once I started to get the hang of it and get better at it, something very strange happened. And it's that I'd say probably in two to three weeks, I started to notice a difference in the way I felt about things. Things that used to stress me out didn't bother me quite so much anymore. Things started to roll off my my shoulders a little bit more. And I just started feeling more at ease, uh, that, that life felt easier. And to get to your question, I still was very good at, you know, getting all my assignments done, thinking ahead to what I was going to do next, being able to plan, being able to strategize. And I would say that I was even better at it because now I was way more focused on what I needed to do, where I wanted to go, and what goals I wanted to, to achieve. But I did it with a much more of a feeling of ease. And you hear a lot of people talking about this. I know Ariana Huffington talks a lot about this in Thrive, how you know she still had the same demands of her work, but it just felt different. What I learned is that there was some research being done at the University of Arizona with Shauna Shapiro, where she was finding the exact same thing. She taught mindfulness meditation to overwhelmed medical students. And there's probably not many people on the planet that are more stressed out than med students. I have worked with them and it's, it's a relentless schedule that they're on. And she broke them into two groups. And for eight weeks, she taught one of them mindfulness and the other, they just, you know, did their normal classes and all the things that they were doing. And at the end of the eight weeks, in those who practiced, she saw a 50% drop in their anxiety and their depression levels, even wow. though nothing, nothing in their outer life had changed. And this, to me, was so exciting. It was kind of validating my own personal experience. And um, John Kabat-Zinn, who I talked about earlier, did the same thing, teaching this to eight weeks to men and women who were diagnosed with generalized anxiety, found a 65% decrease in their anxiety. So 
I, uh, after I graduated, I um, started teaching and there was a course that I was teaching called life skills to help students navigate the ups and downs of their life. And the class was originally designed for women, not because we had more problems, but because we had a grant and we decided to start off working with women. And because of my experience and because of the research that was coming out, I was convinced that if we could teach these undergraduates to practice mindfulness meditation, it would impact them. And at first, kind of like what you were saying, it was a, it was a little bit of a hard sell. And so I really had to share with them a lot of the, the research that we were finding. And after about a few weeks, their experience was mirroring my own experience. They were telling me that they were getting along better with their roommates that they weren't so anxious when they were taking tests. As a matter of fact, one student said, when I went to take my midterm, I wasn't even nervous, and I got an A, and I thought, what's wrong with me? I, I should be more nervous. Maybe I'm not being responsible enough. You know, I'm just kind of, you know, taking it as it comes. And they, they shared a number of stories with me that besides their relationships, there's, you know, they were doing better in school. They um, weren't so stressed out. They weren't getting sick as often. Their headaches were going away. And, and so I was just really convinced that this was a really significant way to help people, not just undergrads, but people to manage, not just manage their life, because we don't want to just manage our life. We want to thrive in our life. You know, we don't want to just not be unhappy. We want to feel a sense of joy. And sometimes our situations in our life make it really hard to do that. You know, we, we deal with all kinds of really difficult challenges. But what research has shown, what my experience has shown and my students and my clients is that when you have a tool like mindfulness, it really can help you ride those waves. Going back to John Kabat-Zinn again, he said you can't stop the waves, but you can learn to surf. I believe really strongly that mindfulness is a way to surf. Go it's ahead, really please. funny. I was actually thinking that that this has you know a physical metaphor in it. It's almost mm-hmm. like you you are learn you when you learn these skills in the moment in you know in your own private space, then it it helps you in other areas. Just like if you were to go exercise or something, and and there are there's a domino effect that happens after the exercise, and this is almost like brain exercise, even though it's peaceful. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and it and it is, and um, and you know, if, if sometimes people will say, "Well, I tried it once and I, nothing happened," and so to, to use your analogy on exercise, which is a great one, um, if I went to the gym today and I picked up a weight and I lifted it, you know, twenty times and I put it down, I wouldn't look at my arm and say, "Well, where's the muscle?" It takes it takes a little time. I have to practice a bit, and that's the way it is with mindfulness. You you may not notice a difference immediately. But if you consistently stay with it, for me, it was two to three weeks. Um, you know, everybody's a little bit different, but some of the science now is showing that you can, you know, there are changes that are happening within the brain very, very quickly. And, um, and so, it, you know, it, it, and you don't have to sit there and do it for an hour. Even just uh, 10 minutes a day can make a significant difference. Now, I'm guessing that a lot of people are thinking, oh, you know, I have to go find a a beach to look at or (laughs) outside where there's no gardener or barking dogs. Like what what is sort of your your vision of of a setup that a person can do this in? What does it what does it require? 
I would say this is a beauty that it doesn't really require anything, no equipment, no nothing, just a place that's relatively quiet. Now, I used to meditate in my home in a nice place, sit on a pillow, 30 minutes, it was great. And then I became a mom. And that was the end of that. (laughs) So then I had to find clever places. And I really realized this whole idea of I bring myself wherever I am. So I don't I don't have to look for the perfect setting to, to meditate because the world is not a perfect place. And the more I can learn to adapt to wherever I am, the better I am. So initially, like if I would drive to work, um, I would med- meditate in my car for five minutes before I went in. I've also meditated in the shower. I meditated while I brush my teeth, while I, while I fold laundry. Um, and I, we can talk a little bit about how to do that. Um, you can do it in your office. You know, you don't have to be on a mountaintop in Nepal or at a beautiful beach. And even if you're a beautiful beach, you could say, you know, gosh, those seagulls are making so much noise. Why don't they stop? You know, it's like, why why doesn't the world stop so that I can be mindful? And what we need to learn is to incorporate the noise or the sounds around us into it. Like, oh, there's a barking dog. Come back to my breath. Oh, there's a sound of a lawnmower. Come back to my breath. I mean, you could say, well, maybe that's more the advanced mindfulness. Maybe in the beginning, you might need to be in a room that's very quiet. Um, and of course, if you can set that up so the phone's not ringing and your phone's not buzzing and your emails are not going off, that's going to make it way easier. Um, it, but it, it could be that you could incorporate the challenge of that into your practice later on. So, so what would be sort of the sentence I might say to myself? So I'm getting into the shower or I'm starting to methodically fold laundry, um, you know, which I think is, is, is doable because it's a task that you're not, you know, that you can just sort of do in a routine, right? Mm -hmm. What what would a person say to themselves to sort of start into that mindfulness meditation? Okay. So I call this meditation in action and it's great for people who are busy that don't have the time to sit down and really meditate. So the whole point of being mindful is being in the present moment. And the one thing that always lives in our present moment experience is our senses. And we think, typically we think of our breathing. Of course, that is one of the things that's in our present moment. We we can't breathe in the past or the future. We breathe now. Right. Um, But our senses are also in the present moment. Our sense of smell, our sense, sense of touch, sight, sound. So, for example, um, I, this is a real-world example. I was at the sink cleaning the dishes, thinking about everything I needed to do and how I don't want to be doing this. And, you know, and I realized, okay, I just need to be mindful right now. So I would feel the sensation of the water on my hands, smell the soap of the dishwasher liquid, um, listen to the sound of the water coming out of the faucet. And every time my mind would wander to something I needed to do or a thought that I was having, or I've got to get that birthday card for somebody, I'd go, oh, thinking, back to the sensation of the water on my hand, back to the smell of the soap. Oh, and I need, I need to run over here and get that. Thinking, back to the water. And it's that pulling ourselves back over and over to this moment that is actually being mindful. So you are practicing mindfulness meditation without sitting on a beach right in front of your sink. So when you're brushing your teeth and what are the senses that you're using? There's the smell of the toothpaste, the feeling of the brush you know, in your mouth, 
the sound of the brushing. And then when your mind goes, you know, should I wear my blue pants or my red pants? So thinking back to the brush. So, and this is a great thing to do. I do this a lot when you have trouble sleeping at night and you're laying in bed and we know that a great source of stress a great source of um, that can cause physical ailments is our Ill- inability to get enough sleep. This is, this is like epidemic in America. Yeah, and we, lay, we lay in bed, and a lot of times we're thinking and thinking about things. We just toss and turn, and then of course we're thinking. And now I have even less hours of sleep, so now we're getting even more stress. And if you can bring your present, your focus to your senses again, so the feeling of the pillow against your skin, the feeling of your blanket on your skin. You know, maybe um, any sounds that you might feel in the room, here in the room, anything that's going to bring you into this moment. How does your body feel against the mattress? I do this all the time, every time, because I think a lot. And, and every time I realize, oh, right, just bring myself into the moment. I don't have to stop myself from thinking. Because if you try to force yourself to stop thinking, you know, will yourself, you know, stop thinking, you actually make it worse. You can't force yourself to stop thinking. It's not possible. It's been extremely successful in helping people to, to stop, uh, to, to sleep. So, so these are all the, this, this is the mechanism of all the benefit is always coming back to, to the moment. And, um, and like I said, you know, people's immune systems function better. They sleep better. All of these benefits, it, it's in for a relatively small amount of investment. You can get a lot from it. Sometimes when I'm doing mindfulness meditation, I find that feelings come up. Is that common? Like, why is that? Yeah, I mean, that can happen as as you kind of put your guard down. Feelings that might be in the background all the time that you're not noticing may start to come up. And the way to address that, there's several ways, but one way is to, again, go into our body. So say you're feeling anxious, then just look where in my, in my body is, is this anxiety. So again, we want to go to our senses. So you might say, I notice I'm clenching my teeth. My breathing is getting, is getting quicker. Uh, I notice my hands are tight or my stomach is really kind of tight. And, and every time you think, yeah, because I'm worrying about this and that there's a thought back to what's happening in my body. And the interesting thing is, you can say, let me just relax my stomach. Let me just relax my jaw. Or you could just simply notice and not change anything. And remarkably, just the act of noticing that you are doing those things can have a beneficial effect. How does mindfulness equal happiness? That is the million dollar question, Stacey. And that's where a lot of the you know, that's where a lot of this brain research is coming in. Richard Davidson from the University of Wisconsin, who's been a great innovator in this area. And um, what he did is uh, they, taught, they taught mindfulness to very stressed out biotech workers who had never meditated before. And then they tested their brains before and after. And what they found was there was a part of the brain called the left prefrontal cortex. And it's the part of the brain that is associated with more contentment and ease. And they found that after just eight weeks of mindfulness training, that area kind of got um, stimulated more and, and it continued to be stimulated and more richly wired 
even when people were no longer uh, practicing mindfulness. And so they found that they started to feel, this kind of explains why, and this was my experience, why people just sort of got happier, even though their life didn't change, but their brain had changed. Um, and uh, Dr. Davidson also worked with the Dalai Lama, looking at the brains of monks who had been meditating a long time, and their brains were kind of off the charts. But what was so exciting was that these stressed out biotech workers who had never, you know, been a monk and meditating hours and hours a day, but just practiced for a mere two months, were able to show some similar changes in their brains that the monks did. And so there's just a, a, an explosion of research now because we have better ways of measuring what's happening in the brain, better equipment. We can see more closely what exactly is happening, and it is a rewiring. We're able to grow certain areas of our brain, the gray matter of our brain, <clears throat> Can, you know, these areas can grow and that is impacting among other things, how we feel. So it's a really exciting time to, um, to learn this. And this is why uh, we're seeing, you know, companies like business executives from Google to Ford to Zappos swear by it. Doctors are um, prescribing this to, to their patients. They're teaching this in schools to kids because it's helping them focus. They're getting better grades. My students, found a significant difference in their ability to do well on tests. So it's partially um, focus training. It's partially what's happening to your brain, uh, to your immune system. It's, it's really quite a remarkable, a remarkable thing. I so appreciate you taking the time to explain all this. And, and I love how you broke it down and made it really simple Sort of in closing, is there one thing that you would suggest that people could just do right now? Yeah, um, there's something that I taught that people seem to respond to, and they seem to it seems to stick in their brain. So I'll share this with you. Um, I call it three three six breathing. Basically, you simply breathe in through your nose to the count of three, hold it to the count of three, and then breathe out through your mouth to the count of six. So it's three in, hold three, out six. And the reason we use those numbers is because when you your exhale is longer than your inhale, it provides more oxygen to your brain and that impacts your mood. Now, if those numbers are too much for you and you feel dizzy, it doesn't have to be those numbers. It could be two, two, four, or even one, one, two, whatever's comfortable for you. Don't get stuck up in the numbers, but the, the point is that your exhale is longer than your inhale. So just whenever you're having a moment where you can or you're stressed out, take a second, sit down, close your eyes, and settle into your chair, breathe in for three, hold for three, breathe out. Do it about three or four times in a row. And while you're doing it, if you start thinking about other things, just simply say, thinking, and come back to your breath. There they go. It's Darlene Menini and Live Happy Editor-at-Large, Stacy Kaiser. If you'd like more information on Darlene and all the things she is working on, you can also find a free sketch note of this episode on this website. Go to livehappy.com slash Darlene. And while you're online, take a minute to let us know what you took away from this conversation or to share it with friends or both. Either way, you can find us all kinds of different places on Twitter at LiveHappy, on Facebook at facebook.com slash LiveHappy. You can even find us on Instagram by searching my live happy or shoot us an email podcast at livehappy.com. We want to hear from you. You can even suggest some things that you would like to hear 
on this podcast. That is going to wrap up this edition of the program. We are so grateful that you have joined us. For Darlene Manini and Stacy Kaiser, I'm J.R. Houston saying so long and remember to always live happy.